things don't always go as expected. Uh, just like this morning, I get in my seat and get ready to start clicking and it's not working, nothing's working. Uh, what am I going to do? Here we go again. Another like last Sunday where I messed up a few songs. Uh, it helps if you turn it on. That makes a big difference in how well it works. Uh, anyway, uh, it's good to see you this morning. I uh, hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, be thinking about as we study together the words that George just read to us. We're going to be studying together again in the book of Philippians this morning. And uh, thinking about uh, what our expectations are as Christians and what, what we need to be thinking about and having our hearts focused on as we live the Christian life. Uh, how did we view Christianity whenever we agreed to it? Those of us who have decided to become Christians, uh, what was our expectation in becoming a Christian? What did we think that life was going to look like? We think that the, the clouds were going to part and the sun was going to shine on us and that God was going to bless everything we did and, and give us great success in life. Is that, is that the kind of life we were expecting? Uh, if it is, then we may be disappointed to know that that's not what the Christian life is really all about. When we looked at uh, Philippians last week and we saw the overview of the letter, we saw Paul talking about his desire for the Philippians to live a life worthy of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do, is to, to live a worthy life that is serving others and that is standing firm and fighting for the faith that we believe in. Uh, and along with that, we are to be willing to sacrifice he talks about the sacrifice of Christ and says we should consider it a sacrifice to suffer for others to be served like Christ has suffered to serve us. The life of a Christian is a life that includes sacrifice, sacrificial service, and inherently suffering. Suffering is part of of our lives. Every New Testament letter almost that we read has a second half of it that talks about some way in which we're supposed to suffer or sacrifice in order to serve God faithfully. Maybe some sins we're supposed to put off in our, in our life. Maybe some good things that we need to be focused on doing for others in our lives. The whole letter of Philippians is about that. The whole letter of Philippians is about sacrificially serving others. So how is Paul going to end a letter that the whole thing is about what he normally concludes his letter on? Uh, it's very interesting. Paul tells us how to handle our sufferings at the end of this letter. The whole letter is about suffering and sacrificing for God. And then at the end, he tells us how we need to handle those sufferings when they come upon us. I think that's very important for us to learn and to understand. We all suffer. Some of us suffer because of our own sins. And they're the consequences of our own sins. And, and we have to deal with those consequences. But many of us suffer unjustly or we suffer for no reason at all that we can find. But no matter what the suffering is, there is a correct way for us as Christians to respond to suffering. 
And I want to make sure that we understand that correct way as Paul revealed it to us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. So as we read these words, realize these are words intended to be heard by people who were just encouraged to sacrificially serve others and to endure suffering for Christ. This is what he says. There's four commandments that we're going to look at in 4 through 6. And then we'll look at verse 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. As we look at this, with our mindset of understanding what the whole letter's about, we see four commandments that Paul gives us to help us know how to respond when we suffer. The first thing he says is, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Thinking about our suffering and then hearing these words from Paul, isn't that perplexing to us? Rejoice in the Lord always? What about the bad times? What about our suffering? We're supposed to rejoice when we're suffering? Think for a moment about the worst time in your life. Think about somebody who has just passed away from you, something that you've lost, something has happened that has ruined something that you treasured in your life. Are you supposed to be happy during that time? It doesn't even seem right to be rejoicing or to be smiling and saying, Yay, everything is great in life. That's fake, right? I mean, that's not even real. You're you're in pain. You're suffering. You may be weeping uncontrollably. Can we still rejoice in the Lord in that time? Paul himself says that if Epaphroditus was near to death, and if he would have died, Paul would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Sadness, sorrow, grieving, pain, suffering, it all goes together. We can't act like it's not going to happen in our lives because it will happen. The moment that we think that I've become a Christian, now God's going to deliver me a perfect life where I'm not going to suffer is the moment where we're in danger. God is going to bring about suffering. How can we rejoice in the Lord when we suffer? I want to point out that we don't need to be pretending to be happy. Okay, If if bad things happen in our lives, it's okay to cry about it. It's okay to feel that pain and feel sad and sorrowful about what's going on in your life. Just because he says we're to rejoice in the Lord during that time does not mean that there is no weeping or no sadness during our pain and during our suffering. But there needs to still be a recognition of what we still have. No matter what gets taken away from us in this life, 
we still have tremendous blessings from God. What God has done for us is still in effect. His Son still died on the cross for the remission of my sins. He has still promised me that I can go into heaven and that I can have a new body and live with God for all eternity. He has still promised me blessings abundantly on this earth. Paul shows us how this is done. Where is Paul? He's in prison, remember? We looked at that at the first chapter. He's in prison. He's in suffering. But he's still rejoicing. And he's even pointing to the Philippians and saying, you rejoice along with me. Why? Because Paul has still been blessed by God with Christ, with hope. Paul is able to still look at his life and see that God is working through him to bring about his glory. That's an interesting thing for Paul. Even though he's in the middle of this suffering, he looks at what's going on as a result of his suffering. And he sees God working in that suffering. When Paul was uh, going to Jerusalem to bring the gift for the uh, famine that was going on in Jerusalem, he was prophesied to, he was told, whenever you go there, they're going to capture you and, and they may try to kill you. They're going to bind you up. You're going to go into chains. Knowing that suffering was coming, he still went anyway to glorify God. And now at the end, when all that suffering has happened and he finds himself in prison, he's rejoicing over the fact that God has used that to glorify himself beyond maybe what Paul ever hoped or dreamed. He finds a way to rejoice in the Lord even though he is suffering. I want to point out something very important about what Paul is doing. Something that we all must do whenever we are suffering. Paul is realizing what's really going on. Paul's not pretending. He's not pretending to be rejoicing over the Lord. He realizes what he really has and he is truly excited about what God has done and what God is doing through him. If I'm a Christian and I'm suffering and I get depressed and down and I start thinking there's no hope for my life, everything is awful, I'm suffering, there's nothing good in life. I'm pretending. I'm pretending that God doesn't really love me. I'm pretending that God really hasn't sent His Son to die for me. I'm pretending that I don't have a relationship with God still. I'm pretending that I don't have the most valuable thing that I could ever have, that treasured possession, that pearl of great price. I'm pretending. That's the most important thing in my life. When suffering comes and I'm saddened and I'm grieving, I still have that. Paul 
is focused not on the bad things that have happened to him in his life, but he's focused on what he can continue to do for God in his suffering. He's continually striving ahead. He doesn't suffer for God and think, well, I've done my job, I've suffered for God, and now I'm good, now God must love me, and I'm the greatest. He doesn't consider himself to have already attained the resurrection from the dead. He's like, alright, I can die now, my life is over, I'm in prison. He keeps striving. He keeps pushing to glorify God. He's rejoicing in the Lord. That's his attitude on life. The second command we see is, let your reasonableness be known. Translators struggle with this word. Reasonableness. What is, he, what is reasonable when we're suffering? Isn't that a time that we typically become unreasonable? Uh, and Paul tells us, let your reasonableness be known. Another word that might be in your translations, translators uh, have a few different words. The Greek word can mean uh, some combination of these things. Is gentleness, graciousness, or the idea of being considerate. Reasonable, gentle, gracious, considerate, rational, having a meek mentality, a a merciful mentality toward others, being rational and thinking about what makes sense and what is true and what is good. How do we end up feeling around someone who's like that? Okay, Picture for yourself the most reasonable, rational person, the most gentle person, the most gracious person you know. Do you like to be around that person? It's a pretty nice person to be around. They're, they're easy to get along with. Now picture the opposite. If somebody's unreasonable, if somebody's irrational, if someone's harsh and mean-spirited toward us, we don't want anything to do with that person. You see how Paul says, let your reasonableness be known. Let others see that you are a reasonable, that you are a gentle, that you are a gracious person. But I'm suffering. But bad things are happening. But people aren't reasonable around us, right? It's hard to be reasonable and gentle when people are harsh and mean and ugly to me. We moved to Florida about six months ago and we decided to go get our driver's licenses and everything changed over. So where do you go? The DMV. So we go to the DMV and we think we got everything set up. We had the appointment. We went out to Belt Lake where it's so much faster and easier. We got the appointment, walked up, got everything taken care of. And Jenna goes to the library a week later and her maiden name is her last name. They messed it up. It's like, alright. So we go back and we tell them and that's not our fault. Well, I didn't call them any names, but I think I could have been more gentle. <laughs> I think I was pretty reasonable. I don't think I was that gentle. So, but anyway, we talked it out. They decided to, to allow me to get this fixed and everything and they were going to take care of it and not charge me for it. And then they proceeded to make another mistake. 
And I ended up getting my license suspended for a few days and my registration suspended for a few days because of their mistake and me missing my mail uh, and overlooking something in the mail. So, you know, things like that happen. I call the DMV up and I'm like, hey, I need to get this fixed. There's something wrong here. And they're like, it's not our fault again. I'm like, oh, man. So people are going to be that way, right? People are unreasonable. People can be unreasonable. People can be harsh. People can be ugly. And how hard is it for us to respond with gentleness when they act that way toward us? But notice Paul quantifies who we're supposed to be gentle toward or or reasonable toward. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Everyone, those who are harsh toward us, yes, even those. It's also hard to be reasonable when bad things happen to us, right? Think about a time when you're sick and you don't feel good, you got a bad headache, things have gone bad in your life. It's really hard to be reasonable and, and gentle toward those around us, especially if they start acting. You know, you get the combination of these two things. It's the perfect storm. It's hard to be reasonable. But that's what Paul is telling us to do. He's telling us to act like Jesus. That's the way Jesus acts. Jesus is being persecuted. Jesus is being insulted. Jesus is being beaten by the Jews. And then He's brought before Pilate. And He's accused of all these things in front of Pilate. And He doesn't say a word toward them, against them. He doesn't act unreasonable at all. He doesn't lose control of Himself. And that's what Paul is telling us to do when we are suffering. Continue. To live reasonably, gently, graciously, considerate toward others. The third and the fourth command are combined together. He tells us, don't be anxious, but instead pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be Anxious. Really? How about when we're suffering? When you look at this whole text and you think about suffering, you just got to say, wait a second now, I'm suffering here. Is that not the time that the anxieties well up in us? When, when we feel the most anxious, as these Philippians are looking at you know, what, what they're about to do and the Romans who might do to them what they've done to Paul and throw him in prison and hurt them. They might hurt their family, right? Their family is going to be affected if the, if the father of the household's taken away. I mean, there's going to be a huge impact there. There's all these anxieties, these what-ifs that are going on in their minds, and their hearts. They're going to be there for us as we suffer. They're going to rise up in us. How are we going to overcome them? We overcome anxiety through prayer. We overcome anxiety through prayer. It's easy for us to have anxiety when things fall apart. But are we going to instead trust that God is in control? 
God knows what's happening. And He has the ability to change things. He wants to hear from us. What are we going to do when, when these bad things happen to us? How often do we turn to God and let Him know how we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're struggling with, what we wish would happen? How often do we turn to Him and rely on Him to help us through the difficult times? The Bible tells us that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. We can rely on God when we're suffering. We can turn to Him for help. But what if God says no? Has anybody here ever had a prayer that has been answered no? (laughs) But I'm suffering. You have to fix this. You have to make things right. If you don't fix this, then you're not good. You're not just. You're not fair. You're not helping me. I need this fixed and I need you to do it now. We don't realize that God is able to help us, but His choosing how to help us is beyond our own knowledge, our own understanding. We think that if God doesn't answer yes to my prayer and do the things that I think that God should do to fix my problem, that God has answered no to me. That's not necessarily true. God is not limited by my knowledge. What God is working is beyond my understanding. He operates in a totally different dimension than I live in. He knows the future. He knows the past. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about everyone around me. And I want Him to do what I think is best? How does that make sense? I'm going to Him because I know He knows better than I do. Paul prays to God three times that a thorn would be removed, but God knows better. God said, My weakness is perfected. My power is perfected in your weakness. God is glorifying Himself through Paul. And that's what Paul really wants. That's what Paul really desires. So he will endure whatever kind of thorn in the flesh or whatever kind of suffering it is that he might glorify God through that. One other thing to point out about prayer, and suffering. One thing that I think is very important for us to realize and to think about is that whenever the bad things happen in my life, the answer is not stoicism. The answer is not clenching up, 
bearing the load all by myself, becoming stone cold to my suffering and just taking the blows and just keep going in life? The answer is talk to God. It's easy for us to not go to God because we think we can handle what we really can't handle, but what we're really doing is getting a hard and cold heart. Our love is leaving us. We must become vulnerable to God. We must open up to God. Let Him know what's on our hearts and our minds. Plea with Him. Cry to Him for help. We're going to be studying about David doing that tonight. As in Psalm 27. Remember to feel love. Remember to feel gratitude. Pray with thanksgiving to God. This is why we rejoice in the Lord, because we recognize what He has done for us, even though we are suffering and we're enduring pain. We remember what He's done. We're thankful for those things. We're still going through pain. We're still suffering. We're going to the God who has blessed us immensely and relying on Him to help us through our suffering. This text doesn't just tell us what to do, though. It gives us four commands. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, Let your reasonableness be known. Don't be anxious, but instead pray to God. He also tells us what God will do for us in our suffering. When we turn to Him, look at verses 6-7 through again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that text tell us God will do? The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. What is that peace? Is this some kind of a miraculous thing? Are we going to feel warm and gooey and all our tears are going to go away and all the pain is going to magically disappear? Is that what God's going to do for us? I don't think that's what the text is saying. But is God going to do something that provides peace for us? Absolutely. How does He give that to us? How is He going to give us that peace? Well, on one hand, you know, we we just talked about praying to God with thanksgiving. We're going to be remembering that we have peace with God, right? But that's not what he says here. Peace with God will guard your hearts and minds. That's not what he says here, right? He says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. There is something that God will provide us that will help us in our suffering. 2 Corinthians, Paul puts it like this. Uh, Talking about God, he says, "...who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God." You know, he says it very clearly in this text. This is beyond our understanding. This is beyond our comprehension. God's able to provide us with peace that, in a way that we don't understand Him doing it. 
And Paul points out in 2 Corinthians, he's able to comfort us and we are in turn comforting you. He's working through people to comfort people. He's working through circumstances to comfort people. He is working in our lives to bring us comfort in the midst of our sufferings when we turn to Him and rely on Him and look at His grace and His mercy and His love and wait for His response. He says, this will guard our hearts and our minds. What does our heart and our mind need to be guarded from? Well, when we're suffering, that's the time when we doubt. That's the time when we doubt God. God is going to help us understand more about Him as we suffer. If we'll look at what He has done through our suffering and what He's able to do, if we continue to strive for the hope of the calling that we've received, He will help us to see Him more fully. We need to be careful not to doubt. Realize God's trying to help us stay away from doubting Him, but to trust Him all the more. And to stay away from all the evil that could come into our hearts and our minds as we deal with unreasonable people, as we have bad things happen to us. God wants to help us stay away from those things. It's just true. Suffering leaves us vulnerable. If we go into Christianity thinking that we're not going to suffer then the suffering will come and we will be vulnerable to our enemy. Imagine going into battle and not knowing the enemy's capabilities. What's the enemy going to do when we underestimate them? They're going to come and wipe us out. And that's what he's saying. Our suffering can wipe us out. Rejoice in the Lord always. Live reasonably with everyone. Don't be anxious for anything. But instead, turn to God. Pray to God. Rely on Him. If you're here this morning and you're not fully relying on God, you're not trusting in His grace, you're missing out on the many blessings of God that He has given to His children. You can enjoy those blessings today if you're willing to make a change, to turn to God, to live your life for Him. If you're subject to the invitation, please come as we stand and as we sing.